0: Hey, welcome to The Resolve Podcast, episode number 62. I'm Carly Tizano, a New Year's resolution coach obsessed with all things, goal setting, personal development, coaching, and of course, resolutions. One of my biggest goals is to help you reach yours. I'm here to provide the tools, support, and inspiration you need to reach your goals this year and every year, and to feel supported every day along the way. Today we are welcoming back to the podcast, my very good friend, Heidi, and we are diving into a discussion of one of my favorite topics, something that I have been super excited to talk about on the podcast for a very long time. And we have had people in past episodes talk about personality frameworks and personality types. and. Back in episode 34, we had Amy Wicks on and she talked about the Enneagram and what the Enneagram is and how we can use it to reach our goals and work towards our resolutions. And so today we are going to be talking about my favorite personality framework. And actually it was hinted at and briefly mentioned in our episode a couple of weeks ago, episode 60 with Tracy Stanger. And so this personality framework is The Four Tendencies. So it's probably no surprise, The Four Tendencies was created by Gresham Rubin, and as all listeners know, I am a huge Gretchen Rubin fan, so it's probably no surprise that this is my favorite personality framework, but it's one that has so much power in every area of our lives, I think, and so I'm super excited to have Heidi come and talk to us about this, since it's something we're both obsessed with that we both use, and we both have different tendencies, so we'll be able to share slightly different perspectives on this idea. So Heidi, thank you for coming to share today.
1: Thanks, Carly. It's fun to be able to talk to you about this on a recording. I know we talk right. about this all the time. <laughs> and We discovered it about the same time. I love this one because it is probably like the simplest to understand. Yes. So when I'm talking to somebody who like has never got into personality typing before, this is usually the one where I'm like, well, I'll start with this one. Mm-hmm. This one will teach you a lot about yourself and other people. And it's just really fun
0: right. It's not like one of 16 types or you're like trying to guess letters. And it's not like there's a sliding scale where you can be like higher or lower on neuroticism. It's like you fall into one of these four categories.
1: And you're not going to get lost on like a YouTube spiral where everyone has their own way of interpreting like the 16 different tendencies or yeah.
0: Well, and even with the Enneagram or with something like MBTI or StrengthsFinder, a lot of times that's helpful, but you're like, okay, what do I do with this information? And Mm -hmm. the entire concept of the force tendencies, to me at least, what it is, is inherent with how it can help you. If you understand this, you automatically intuit like the transformation that can bring in your own life because of what it enables you to understand about yourself and how everyone else is different from you inherently. And then how you can use like those differences and or similarities in other people to do what you want to and to help other people do what they want to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Because it's much more connected to like why you do what you do right. or like how you do what you do. More of the right. how you do what you do. Whereas other ones are more like why you think the way you do or what you value, but this is how you work. Kind.
0: And so the word that I know Gretchen uses a lot with this is expectations. How you respond to expectations is what differentiates the four different quadrants of the four tendencies. So the four quadrants are upholders, obligers, questioners, and rebels. So upholders... They are people who can meet inner expectations and outer expectations. And in her book, The Four Tendencies, The Indispensable Personality Profiles that reveal how to make your life better and other people's lives better too, which pretty much sums up what we just talked about. But I think it was on her podcast. She asked people of the different tendencies to send in their ideas for what the catchphrases should be of the different types. So for upholders, the catchphrase that was most popular is the idea of discipline is my freedom.
1: Well, I know you really relate to that.
0: That's true. I am an upholder, which when we dive in, I think will be probably pretty obvious, but you are an obliger Yes. And obligers meet outer expectations and resist inner expectations. And that's very it. true. Yes, that's <laughs> me. And I don't really like the
1: sound of that still I didn't like the sound of it when I first discovered it so I was kind of going down the list and hoping I was anything but that but then I realized that Mm. I'm an obliger and I have come to appreciate what that means for us who are obligers like I think that it is it is like a helpful thing
0: yeah absolutely and your catchphrase is you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me at least according to the book
1: yes I very much want people to count on me. It makes life feel meaningful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and as we'll hear, that's the secret for obligers is having other people count on them, even for their own stuff. Anyway, so questioners, which I know we both can think of some questioners in our lives, they are people who resist outer expectations, but they meet inner expectations. And their catchphrase is, I'll comply if you tell me why. (laughs)
1: I know so many questioners. Yes. Right? My dad is a questioner. Mm, and I think okay. both of my brothers are.
0: Yeah, I have family members who are too. And there's a superpower to that too. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll dive into all of the types more in a minute. But the last one is rebels. And so rebels resist outer expectations and resist inner expectations. And I also have some of these in my family. Yes, <laughs> me too. <laughs> so their catchphrase is you can't make me and neither can I. <laughs>
1: It is their curse and how they are like so powerful as people.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think that one and the questioner one are both hilarious, which may be because I don't fall into those types. And then before we dive into like specifically more about the tendencies, Gretchen does specifically say that everyone falls into one of the four categories. And there's some confusion as I think with all types to be like, well, I am every type. And that's really not possible in any personality type or this one, but... She has stated that if you are in one, like you can tip to one that's on either side since kind of the four domains in her theory are like arranged in overlapping circles. So if you are an upholder, then you can tip is what she calls it to obliger or to questioner. Or if you're an obliger, you can tip to upholder or rebel. If you're a rebel, you can tip to obliger or questioner. And if you're a questioner, you can tip to upholder or rebel. So that's upper level. (laughs) Quote, unquote. And if you dive into more of this or you think this is going to be helpful for you, then you should definitely check it out. You can look up the circles. You can take the quiz on her website, which I'll link to in the show notes, which has been taken down by like millions of people. And she did conduct like serious research going into this. So it's not just something that she pulled out of thin air, although the idea did kind of come to her out of thin air. So- There is like research behind it. And as I've been working on my graduate program, actually, there have been some articles that I've been able to cite and talk about the four tendencies, like in my own research papers and everything. So that has been like a somewhat fun tie-in to other things this year.
1: I need to read these papers now. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but so let's start talking about upholders, which is what I am. And I actually had a similar situation to you because I don't remember if I first read the book or heard about it on the podcast. I probably first heard about it from the podcast and she was like giving an overview of the types, or maybe it was in better than before, which is her other book about habit change, which is when she first came to this idea. And then she released the four tendencies book specifically about it. Cause people were like so fascinated by this idea, but she was giving the description of an obliger. And I was like, Oh no, that's what I am. I'm an obliger. And it, <laughs> really, I don't know. I just accepted that I like, I do things for other people, of course, but somewhere along the way I realized, well, I also do things for myself just because I want to At the time I was in college. And I decided that instead of it taking three years, like it was supposed to, according to my degree plan, I was like, That's ridiculous. I wanted to take two years. So I just took more classes at a time. And so I graduated in two years. And I was like, no one else made me do that. I just did that because I wanted to. And as I like looked at my life, there were plenty of other things that fell into that category. And I was like, oh, okay, I must be an upholder then because I can do things like just because I say I want to or just because I decide that I want to. Unsurprisingly, another hallmark of upholders is that they set resolutions and then they keep them at least most of the time or they can and they do. And so I think that is part of where love of resolution stems from. And that's actually a frequent example that she brings up in the four tendencies book and framework, because each of the tendencies responds to resolutions in a slightly different way. Upholders tend to love them. They tend to use them. They tend to keep them. So that's probably not too surprising, but then the last real trademark of upholders. And the thing I think that really resonated with me and still does the strongest is the idea of tightening. So because upholders can keep internal expectations and external expectations, we can just decide to do something and it becomes the be all and end all of our existence. Like the new standard, we absolutely have to do things that way. And then things will just get tighter and tighter. So when I first started working full-time out of college, I remember originally I was supposed to be in the office at nine. So like, sure enough, I was there at nine, went through the workday. Then I think there was some day, like I got there at 8.45. So then the new standard was I was going to be there at 8.45 because I was there at 8.45 one day. So just because I knew I could get there at 8.45, like that became the standard and I had to be there at 8.45. And then before I knew it, it was like eight o'clock and that was the new standard. But it just like, it tightened into the routine of, this is exactly how it goes. And the same thing happens with like bedtime routine or this little ritual, like when I finish a book or whatever it may be, like I can just add these elements into a routine and they just get tighter and more restrictive just because like in my own head, I've decided that's the way things are. Is that something you've noticed about me or is that all hidden internally?
1: Um, It's something that you talk
0: about. Okay. So
1: you have taken it out from your internal mind. Okay. I've externalized it. <laughs> yes. Remind yeah, me, so which way do you tip?
0: I tip... I have gone back and forth. I think I tip obliger, stemming largely from the fact of that's what I initially would have said that I was. And I think though, coming back to another one of my concepts, the hierarchy of values, which we talked about back in episode 23, I think that's because of my personal values. And you could argue like values come before tendency or tendency comes before values, but because my values are very externally focused and on love and prioritizing people, I think that could be another reason that I tip that way, but it's driven by my values. I don't know. It's not something i thought a lot about, but I would agree. And I think I tend to tip that way.
1: That makes sense. That's what I was guessing, but then I couldn't remember what you had said before. Back to what you said a second ago with where you asked if I noticed you're tightening. <laughs> I know there are specific times where you've come and you've said, I am tightening in this area mm. and I just need to tell you so I will stop doing it. And right. maybe that's like a little obliger tendency in there too. just get it out of your head tell somebody else now you are accountable and you move on
0: yeah well and because tightening is like such an internal thing and to most other people I think it would be like totally ridiculous what do you mean you have to put I don't know I don't have a good example
1: to work an hour early that's a good example
0: (laughs) yeah like that or oh this was one of the things that I was like oh yeah I'm an upholder I have kept a journal every day for well over Mm -hmm. a decade just because like I started one day and I've never let myself stop. And the practice has evolved significantly since it started. And now there are like all of these elements that I force myself to include every single day. Like I cannot leave them out. And it's ridiculous. No one cares. It's just this standard I have set up in my own brain, but I have tightened to that point of this is what it has to be. And so that's something I've never loosened. It's only (laughs) forgotten tighter, but the practice itself is like, very indicative of the fact that I am an upholder.
1: Yeah. Cause no one else knew you were journaling every day for a decade. Yeah.
0: Right. Or that there's like all of these elements that go into it that make yeah, it. Whatever that's
1: it is. news to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. And let's talk about what it is like to be an applied because that's what you are. So what was that journey like to discovering that for you?
1: So I can't remember if I discovered it first from reading better than before or from just like touring her instagram page and there was this cute little comic of these four different animals and they were all the different four tendencies i don't
0: remember that
1: oh yeah it's really cute one of her fans had drawn it and so that's when i messaged you and you were like oh yeah take the test Mm. and i took it and of course came out as an obliger and like i already mentioned i was not wanting to be an obliger and i think that's an interesting tendency of that tendency because mm-hmm. I know a lot of obligers who are like, oh, it's such a burden to be an obliger, which is why I think that the four tendencies can like understanding that framework and how you can grow as an obliger mm-hmm. and what helps you reach your goals as an obliger can be so freeing just because it points out an element of ourselves that we don't like mm-hmm. and that maybe we're trying to avoid or that we obviously struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had a little bit of trouble, like fully committing to being an obliger because I was an obliger rebellion at the time Mm. and my life was chaotic. I was having a really hard time, like sticking to any habits at all, although I was showing up for people in like at church and in extracurricular activities and my friends realizing that I was an obliger and I was in obliger rebellion pushed me, I remember to reach out to you and say, please help me. I need accountability. Yeah. I remember that. We would meet and I would tell you my stuff for the week. And that was just really helpful to starting to push me to be accountable to myself more. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So obligers want to do things like show up for themselves in general, but in a variety of ways, like setting and keeping habits, reading more or going back to school or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And if I told you, I was like, I need you to read this book because we're going to do a podcast episode about it. You'd be like, done. I've got this. No problem. That will be the top of my to-do list. But if you were like, this book looks interesting, it might not be as important as that.
1: No, yeah, it's totally true. I own tons and tons of books and I have read a fraction of them because they're interesting, but I haven't needed to read them for a class or because now that you're in
0: school, you like do a bunch of reading. Yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. So right. meeting those outer accountability things for other people or for school, we're really good at doing that. So mm-hmm. I love being in school because I have all these assignments and these to-dos are set for me and I know how to live within that little framework. And so yeah. it's very like freeing for me to live within that framework.
0: And yeah. that's actually how Gresham discovered the four tendencies because she was at lunch with a friend and the friend said, I used to run all the time, like when I was on the high school track team, but now I just can't get myself to go running anymore. And that earworm stuck with Gretchen. And she was like, why is that? That in one context, you have no problem doing the thing. And then suddenly you can just a few years later, like you're the same person. So that's a perfect example of how your tendency can manifest in different ways at different times. But- the key element of that woman's experience was she was an obliger. And so when she was at the track team and there was this external expectation that was set of, we're going to go out and run six miles, it was no problem. But when she wakes up in the morning and has this internal expectation of, I'm going to go run six miles today, like not going to happen.
1: And I think part of that has to do with like how we prioritize things according to values and and this isn't always true we might value like teamwork or being able to make sure that we are showing up for these other people Mm because we're holding those as our really high standards and so that's how our life gets ordered around those other things. And so things that are personal goals that don't matter to other people, or we don't think they matter to other people, (laughs) like running or reading a book for fun, or, you know, finally finishing that scrapbooking project. That's been like, you have a hundred photos in your closet from the last like forever. But as
0: soon as you attach an external expectation of you're on the running team, or someone asked you to read that book or gave it to you, or your child is like, where's that scrapbook from summer vacation six years ago? That thing is done.
1: You get it done. Yes, exactly. So the
0: key and the secret to doing that then for any obliger who wants to do anything, Gretchen says the secret is to find and identify and set up systems of external accountability to get you to meet those external expectations. Because the thing about obligers, like you said, is they're still very value driven. We're all value driven. So they have internal expectations they want to meet. They have internal desires and they just struggle to meet them though, without externalizing those desires and setting up systems of accountability to help them achieve them.
1: So for obligers, it's really a process of realizing that your values are actually meaningful and important for life like the things that you want to do that arise out of your values are valuable to the rest of the world so go for it and do it
0: so what are some ways that you have set up accountability in your own life to help you do those things you want to do other than come on the podcast this year (laughs) (laughs)
1: well you know we do our resolution lists together if i'm really struggling with something i will let somebody know about it Mm -hmm. Especially in a hard period where I don't have a lot of time or a lot of energy because I'm stretched multiple ways, Mm -hmm. then I might text my mom and be like, hey, I need to be up at X time to be working on this assignment. Or I know I've messaged you before and be like, I have to start getting to bed earlier, so I'm going to message you when I'm going to bed. So those things have helped And then looking for ways to get involved because I'm each obliger kind of has their own type of external accountability or collection of them that can Mm -hmm. be really useful to them. And one of those for me is teamwork. I'm just a really competitive soul. And so if there's Mm -hmm. a way to introduce competition at all, I will be there. I can run forever if I'm playing like ultimate frisbee or a game of pickup tag or something, Mm -hmm. but getting out of bed and running for a mile in the morning is, oh my gosh, I have to run for a mile in the morning. So it makes it easier and more fun. And then just thinking about the types of work I'm doing or like school I'm pursuing that, you know, lines up. And I think people do this naturally, but if it lines up with my values, then I have this extra external accountability that's already helping me achieve the things I want to achieve, or help become the person I want to become.
0: Yeah, and you talked a little bit about obliger your rebellion. So let's dive into that. What is oblige rebellion?
1: Oblige rebellion is when you have obliged yourself, <laughs> and you reach the end point where you just cannot give of yourself anymore to people, and mm-hmm. you start putting your foot down. You start slamming doors, saying you're not going to show up. You may embarrassingly not show up for something that you always did before in the past, and it can be very disconcerting and right. worrisome because mm-hmm. you're like, "Who am I becoming? Right. i being an angry person." And like the one thing that was keeping you doing things in life isn't working anymore. Yeah, which is another scary place to be, and it's a weird place to. Rec- recover from Mm -hmm. how do you recover by getting accountability when the accountability is what's making you close off so it's a helpful thing to realize so helpful i think a lot of people really deal with that especially like moms Mm -hmm. a lot of moms i think are obligers who are getting close to obliger rebellion and fighting so hard not to do that and then so realizing it is a process but once you accept it then it can be kind of like a nice, slow, gradual process to recovery as you come back out of that and recenter yourself around your goals and around that external accountability
0: in a more healthy way. Mm-hmm. Right. And Gretchen talks about it can even manifest itself as quitting the job you've had for 20 years or getting yeah. a divorce because like you just had met these expectations and then you hit this breaking point point, you snap and you just will not do it anymore. And I think an important distinction is it's not necessarily that suddenly you start meeting your own internal expectations. It's just that you stop meeting the external ones that you have been meeting.
1: That's a really good point. Yeah. Like you realize it's just divorced enough from your internal values at that point right. or your internal expectations mm-hmm. that you just.
0: Right. or well, it's just too much. You can only give so much. And there is a variant that Hasn't been talked about too much, but she has mentioned of upholders having a upholder rebellion. I think it's more common (laughs) of upholders who tip to obliger. It's not something I've experienced, but I have heard her talk about it. But it's that same idea of I will not or cannot meet these expectations anymore. But that healing journey, recovering from obliger rebellion. I think one of the first steps for you was like recognizing it was happening, even if I don't remember if we had the language around it at the time. Maybe you did. Maybe you were like, I am in oblige rebellion. I need help. Because even that was like turning to external accountability to be like, I (laughs) can't do this on my own. I need someone else out there. Even just mirror stuff back to me. And I like to think that there have been sometimes when I've been like, that's an external expectation. Like You don't have to meet and help draw out some of your internal expectations and figure out how we can meet those. So I think that's part of it of realizing what expectations can you not meet or do you not want to meet and that aren't aligned with your values and ensuring that whatever expectations you are meeting internal or external are in line with your values. And then just like slowly getting back in line with that.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's true. And then also being able to talk with somebody about that or like journal it out can also, or maybe both, right. You work through all of the emotions around it because you're having an emotional response to what's going on. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: that can help you work through all of those issues and get back on the track. I guess find a friend who's willing to put up with those
0: conversations or
1: just go get therapy.
0: Well, and that's something that you have mentioned too about the connection between obligers and some other mental struggles or psychological struggles that people have and that- For some, like being an obliger can be kind of like a red flag, but it can also be like a helpful way to conceptualize and understand like, this is the way I process the world. This is why I can't keep my resolutions because obligers struggle because most of the time resolutions are just an internal expectation that you're setting for yourself. And so obligers want to set them and want to keep them most of the time, but they struggle to do that. So for some people, like just having the label and understanding of I am an obliger, is helpful enough to be like oh that is what i'm missing that's why i'm struggling with this and i do really well over here but for some people like that's helpful and beneficial but they need to go a few steps further
1: Mm -hmm. because there might be a lot of things that are all contributing to that isn't beyond your tendency i think that one of the reasons why this is one of my working theories one of the reasons why the obliger tendency is the most common tendency that's right yeah i think one of the reasons why it is the most common is because like people pleasers people with like anxiety people with adhd because Mm -hmm. i know that some of the tricks that help people with adhd are like doing school in the room with another person because it keeps you on track or just people who are burned out from taking care of other people and so would connect with the obliger rebellion part of things i think that a lot of those like difficult life circumstances or just some unhealthy personality things or some like actual mental disorders can be evidenced in um, an obliger type tendency there's going to be some similarities there so i would say that just because you're an obliger doesn't mean that you really need to go to therapy or anything like that like you're saying it can just help you understand your tendency but maybe we'll be willing to look beyond it just a little bit more what other unhealthy things have gotten incorporated in that and that is one of the ways that the four tendencies can push you even further to knowing yourself better and growing as a person even more.
0: Mm -hmm. And the last thing I want to touch on obligers, and I deal with this a lot with other coaches, particularly people who are like, you need to be entirely self-motivated and personally driven. And so I think I understand that mindset, especially as an upholder for a long time before I understood the framework. I'm like, you said you were going to do the thing. Like, why are you not doing the thing? (laughs) Whereas for me, I can be like, I say, I want to do the thing. So I do the thing and it's end of story. And for a lot of people, if I want to do the thing. I have to find out systems and tools and people who can support me in doing the thing to make it possible to do the thing. And that's okay. But it's having that understanding that's so helpful. And so a lot of times I'll be asked, or it'll come up kind of in a roundabout way in conversation, like, so what do obligers do? Can they find a way to just do the things they say they're going to do because they say they're going to do them? And I think it's kind of a loaded question because that on the surface, and the also the underlying meaning of that question is, can obligers become upholders and like just do the things they say they want to do because they want to do them? And we don't want obligers to become upholders. We want obligers to be obligers. But they can, I fully believe, get to the point where they have set up systems of accountability, even internally, of being accountable to themselves or to their desires or to the future version of themselves that are going to be glad that they've done this thing, which... In a slightly different way is just what upholders do to do the things that they want to do. So I do believe that obligers don't always have to turn to other people or to other resources or to find accountability outside of themselves. But I do think that they can externalize their internal desires with just themselves to set that system of accountability. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. I
1: agree. Yes. Yes. It's a process of growing and trusting yourself and being able to act on those things that you really think are important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a helpful way to think about it too, can be like internal motivations is like a weaker muscle
0: mm, and
1: external mm, motivations mm, are a stronger muscle. So rely on those stronger muscles. Cause they're going to help you out even as you like work on building internal motivation. Right. And
0: if that's, if all you need to do the things you want to do is find some kind of accountability out there somewhere, like why reinvent the wheel? And not that we like shouldn't pursue personal growth and figure out how to set up those internal forms of accountability, but it's okay to take advantage of external forms of accountability. There's nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to try to change your nature to capitalize on the methods that are inherently going to work best for you based on your time.
1: It's a strength. It's your area of yeah, strength. And you exactly. don't need to feel ashamed about
0: it. Right. Because questioners who are the exact opposite of obligers, they have an easy time meeting things that are internal expectations, but they have a very hard time or they just don't. They resist external expectations. So you and I are not questioners, but we know questioners and have worked with questioners. So we have seen this tendency like out close and personal.
1: Yes. And I think the questioners in my life were the first people that understanding the four tendencies really helped me be able mm. to have patience with them and appreciate mm. them and where they were right. coming from because they're like internally like consistent Mm. they're like attractive and inspiring like i feel like they know what they're doing with their lives they want to make sure that the things that they're encountering the standards they're encountering are in line with their values and then they adopt them Mm. like wholeheartedly so they seem very like reasonable and like real thinkers sometimes but for people like you and me who are very willing to you know embrace a standard that society has or our family has or something like that without questioning it Mm -hmm. it can be a bit mind-boggling to have a conversation with a questioner because they are questioning that right
0: upholders love rules (laughs) I remember Gretchen talking once. She was like, when I first moved to New York City, I was so obsessed figuring out what the rules were for hailing a cab. What does that look like? What is required? And I was like, I get it. I know exactly what she's talking about. But to contrast with questioners, if I walked up to a counter and there was a sign behind the counter that said no phone use while you're at the counter, I would not even think about it. That's the rule. I'm going to meet the rule. And if someone next to me was on their phone, it would make me super uncomfortable. (laughs) But a questioner would be like, why is it like going to slow down the procedure? I'm just standing here waiting anyway. Who set that rule? Why would I have to follow that rule? And they would have no problem pulling out their phone if they determined like that was not internally a valid sign to have posted there. They would just do, Pretty much whatever they wanted that was in line with like their internal values and whatever internal expectation they have around that kind of thing
1: yes and so for like me when i came here to school i spent the first probably two months just being like okay what are the rules of this social world how do i like discover what the rules are so i can kind of follow them and i remember when you were down here in florida about a month ago was it we were crossing a street and whoever we were with didn't want to walk all the way to the end of the street and cross at the light (laughs) And so they just jaywalked and you were like, this breaks all of my rules for myself, but okay. (laughs) But I think that one of the reasons why we love rules so much is because it just frees us up to not have to make decisions in that area. It's Mm. exhausting to have to like assess every rule and see if we're going to follow every rule and all the reasons why that rule was made, just follow the rule. It saves Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Mm. So that's why, that's how we think about it. Yeah, obviously. That could be a blind spot.
0: So two more examples of the way questioners think, which mm-hmm. might trigger your brain. If you're a questioner, they also oftentimes resist speed limits or like seatbelts. They're like, why should everyone in the world conform to this one standard that has been set by someone else? And if they can come to an understanding, like, well, seat belts are more obvious, like public safety for myself and other people. Okay. Most questioners can probably get behind that one, but there's still a lot of them come up against the speed limit thing to be like, who says that this one speed for all people should be the standard? And so they're likely to resist it, which I understand because I resist that one a little bit too, but
1: <laughs> so do we all. Uh, I think that one of the powers of questioners that can arise from that is that they can be great agents of change right. because they're willing to come into a system and look at it and be like, okay, why are we doing this? This doesn't make sense over here and start to reinvent something or create something that fills a gap, finding out a better way to rework the system. And it's really valuable. Oh yeah.
0: It can drive the rest of us crazy to be like, what do you mean? We've always done it this way. This has got to be the best way, but it's so helpful to have that external perspective and someone who doesn't just accept things the way they are, especially if it doesn't make sense to them. But that leads to another interesting aspect of questioners in that they hate to be questioned.
1: It's being confronted about it, you know, because if they've reasoned all the way through something and they've presented their reasoning to you, and then somebody comes in and just starts picking away at a part of it,
0: hmm. then they'll
1: be like, but I just showed you how this all works and this all makes right. sense. So why aren't you like jumping on like the reasoning train here to see how it all makes sense together? Mm-hmm. I can see questioners like that really bugging them.
0: Yeah. yeah. And even to just do things that don't make sense to them. So Gretchen talks about like, she was going to text her husband, pick up sandwich meat on his way home from work. And she had to stop to be like, if I say pick up sandwich meat, he's going to be like, why? That doesn't make sense. We have food at home. So he would just not do it. But if she says, I need you to pick up sandwich meat because our daughter has field trips this week. So we have to pack her lunch. It's going to make sense to him be in line with his values. And so he's going to do it. Hmm. So it makes so much sense. Like, Questioners just need the information that they do to get to that point where something makes sense to them, and then they'll do it. And if they don't have that, they're not going to do it, which, like, it makes sense.
1: (laughs) It does. It does make sense.
0: It can just be frustrating to other people. And so in order to do anything, though, questioners have to take that external expectation and internalize it. That's how they move forward and do things and just operate. As for questioners, New Year's resolutions. And this was actually another pattern that Gretchen realized to be like, oh, this is one of the other types. Because when New Year's resolutions would come up, questioners say, I reach the goals that I want to. I do the things that I say I'm going to do. And if I set goals, like that's fine, but I'm not going to do it on January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. And that's like the phrase that they'll use. It's an arbitrary date, which... I am willing to fight you on because no, it's not. It's like the first day of the year. That alone makes it not arbitrary, but we'll move on beyond that to.
1: It's like, it's okay, questioners. We'll keep celebrating your birthday on the arbitrary right. Birthday.
0: Yeah. So we'll move past that. And I'm sure questioners are going to message me and argue why it is an arbitrary date, but they're only going to be proving the point that they're questioners.
1: Um, My brother would say the same thing. There was this quintessential like oldest, middle, youngest conversation mm -hmm. we had right around New Year's. But come to think of it, I guess it was obliger rebel questioner mm, conversation because I was working on writing up my new year's resolution and my rebel sister was like why are you doing that of course you're doing that and my questioner brother we were like well did you do any new year's resolutions and he was like no because it's just another day
0: yeah exactly (laughs) that's so perfect so questioners they have so much power in that they can do the things that they want to do when they want to do them but a lot of times like they'll resist questioning from other people. Sometimes they get stuck in analysis paralysis, but ultimately they have that drive of making things make sense to them and then acting from that position. But there are also the people who like your sister, they're not going to keep resolutions. They think that's ridiculous. They're not going to do anything else that they want to do or that people want them to do. And let's be real. That's a sentiment we can all get behind. It's that idea of If you were going to wash the dishes and someone's like, hey, can you wash the dishes? There's a little bit of resistance there. Of course, as obligers and upholders, we'd be like, yes, I'll go wash the dishes. But I can understand that thought. You told me to do what I was going to do anyway. So there's a little resistance there. And that's what a lot of rebels, I think, feel a lot of the time just in the way that they operate in the world. And so this is the one that I have rebel siblings too, I'm pretty sure, but it's hard because they feel sometimes that tension too. Of, I want to do things, but I can't even make myself do things and you can't make me do things. So I, that's a hard position to be in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: yeah. And I think that the power of a rebel is their strong sense of individuality. That's what can make it difficult because they're resisting all these other in- expectations that are being set upon themselves. But harnessing that power of individuality is what can make them be like such a powerful person.
0: Well, and they are the smallest category. So I think they're also the most misunderstood Mm -hmm. in that we just kind of push those people sometimes to the side to be like, well, you're not doing the things that you want to do or that we're telling you to do. So like, just get out of the way and let the rest of us like keep moving forward, whichever way we're going to. And there's such a loss there because rebels have so much value to add to whatever environment they're in. Although Gretchen makes a fantastic point about sometimes rebels being drawn to areas like the military where there's like super strict structure. And she thinks that it has to do at least somewhat with the idea of then they have something to rebel against. And they can just find like unique ways of, relieving that pressure by still doing the thing that they want to do but i think it comes back to that idea of like identity and values too of i am making a difference here i am contributing i am living out my values i have a strong identity in this role and that is what it takes for rebels to be able to supersede that tension and the resistance because they can do things like out of a desire to align with their identity that's the secret of rebels and gretchen breaks it down even further because she says that when dealing with a rebel, as we all probably will do throughout our lives, if you need a rebel to do something, what you have to do is you have to give them the information they need to make the decision of whether or not they're going to comply or do what needs to be done. You have to explain to them the consequences of whether they do or do not do the thing, what the consequences are, and then you have to leave the choice up to them. So information, consequences, choice. And that's something like that's helpful for all of us, right? Like we, we all want the information and to know what the consequences are going to be and to be able to make the choices for ourselves. But for rebels, it's super important.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's an example of how this tendency framework can be really helpful for parents in understanding yeah. their children and giving the information, talking about the consequences and leaving the choice works really well. I don't think it would have worked for me. It definitely would have worked right. for me.
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> my there's the desire worked. Like, just tell me what to do. I will do it. If you just tell me what to do. And yes. rebels would never ever <laughs> think that.
1: Yes, no, exactly.
0: So rebels are the least common, upholders are the second least common, and then questioners and then obligers are the most common. So I think most of us, if we like step back into our lives, we can kind of lay those proportions over and be like, yeah, I can see based on these ideas, who probably falls into each of those categories. And we don't want to use it to put people in a box. I have heard the idea of rather than personality typing, putting you in a box, it's like putting you in a planter because then you have all this new information you can use to nurture yourself and grow in new ways. I love however you choose to look at it, but it's, I understand the concept behind it. And what's nice about the four tendencies is that not only can understanding it well, because it is pretty simple, allow us to grow and develop ourselves so much better and just understand like where we're coming from, it can also help us understand other people so much better. And as a coach, like it's so helpful to be like, I don't need you to take the quiz, but I have a pretty good idea of what's going on here, both in how you're handling these situations and the struggles you're having with goals and exactly what then I need to do to help you.
1: Mm -hmm. It really helps us be able to work with other people better in all of our relationships and also give them grace. Yes. Because the things that might be annoying you about somebody else might just be their like their superpower.
0: Yeah. And it's so helpful because we're all in our own heads. And like I said, growing up, I just did not understand other people and the way they thought and the way they didn't do the things they wanted to do. And so I over time came to the realization, like, yes, people are different. We approach things different ways. But this is what really cemented for me. Like people are different. And regardless of how much growth we go through and how much we develop and the things we go after and the things we achieve. Like there are some parts of us that are just part of who we are. And when you have something like this to help you conceptualize what that is and to understand other people, it just goes such a long way in broadening your perspective and like bring just compassion to the way you relate to other people.
1: I agree a hundred percent.
0: Let's talk about, to wrap this up, how we can use the four tendencies to help us reach our goals. So I guess the first step is just resolve to identify what you are, right?
1: Yeah. Know thyself is at the root of you know, and human growth.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yes. there we go. So know yourself. I did take the quiz at one point, but I'm pretty sure I already knew what I was when I took the quiz. So take the quiz if you need to, or you can type yourself based off of this, but then just dive more into the strategies that you can use to help you reach your goals. So Gretchen has tons of material on that in her book, Better Than Before, on her podcast. She talks about the tendencies all the time, but just begin to consider based on what makes your personality Which of the strategies that we talked about could you use to structure your life in a way that is going to make it easier for you to reach your goals or specifically apply it to a goal that you need to reach or want Mm -hmm. to reach?
1: Yes. And don't become like a prisoner to your personality type where you feel like, well, I'm a rebel, so I just like, I can't make myself do it. Recognize that and move past it. Or for me, like as an obliger, oh, I'm an obliger. So getting out of bed in the morning and going for a run is just not going to work for me. No, that just means it's going to be harder for me. And find ways to help me do that by leaning on those stronger muscles of external Mm -hmm. accountability.
0: And all of it, I think, is driven by values because the methods of accountability you use and what you're going after in the first place are going to come from your values. And so returning to that alone is going to be able to drive the action to get you to where you want to go and even to figuring out how to get you where you want to go.
1: Mm -hmm, Exactly. And so connecting running to a value for me looks like I want to be able to be strong and healthy so that I can like think well and serve well and be able to love the people around me well. And so getting out of bed and running in the morning is connected to a much greater goal and desire that I want my life to be shaped by.
0: Well, and even like the methods you could choose to keep yourself accountable to do that. Like you could join a running group or you could have a scheduled call with your mom every morning while you're running, like to catch up with her, or you could know you're going to run to that coffee shop down the road and meet someone else for coffee. Or you could just like text someone every morning when you wake up as your accountability to say, yes, I got up and went for my run. There are so many ways that you could use your applied your tendency. And then the values that are driving that to increase the connection that you're feeling and use accountability to do what you want to do. Yeah. So many tools. So this is some of what we do in coaching and just as accountability partners to be like, what do we need to do to figure this out? To get from where we are to where we want to go. Okay. Well, thank you for coming to talk about the four tendencies. One of our favorite topics, clearly, I think we could have gone on about all of them like way longer, but we'll oh, yes. use this as like a primer. It's just like your introduction to the topic. And there's so many more resources to go learn more. But Heidi, what book are you reading this week?
1: I am reading the spiritual life by this really old guy from hundreds of years ago named vitringa i'm not even going to try to pronounce his first name okay. it's for one of my classes hmm. it's one of the last books that's due but he just goes through talking about what it looks like to actually live as a christian and it's really convicting other than my school assignments i just started franny and zoe by jd salinger
0: yep a good one. So
1: i'm very excited to read that one everyone's told me it's good it's just taking me forever to get around to it
0: it's not my favorite salinger but it's a good one which
1: is your favorite, Salinger?
0: Catcher in the Rye.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Classic, but so good. Okay. And then to wrap up the show, can you share something that you are celebrating that we can toast with you?
1: I am celebrating almost being done with the first semester and surviving the yes. scariest paper week. And I'm toasting you as well, because you just told me you have three weeks left.
0: Yes. Yeah, three weeks left of school. And let's be real. You've also lived through two hurricanes during that time. You yeah. get like <laughs> extra toasts and gold stars for that. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for coming to share on the podcast for diving into this topic. That is such a favorite of ours and little do our listeners know, but you're going to have to the podcast very soon.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so good to talk to you again. Cause I have not talked to you enough during this I know. Semester, yes. and seeing your face and talking about this thing that we love so much has been so much fun.
0: Yes. Well, and we'll be catching up in front of our listeners again very soon. So yeah. thank you. I am so grateful that Heidi took the time out of her very busy schedule as we approach the end of our semesters to come and talk about this topic. It is such an interesting one. And Gretchen Rupin kind of admits in the book and on the podcast, like when she first came to the determination and the discovery of the four tendencies, she was shocked that no one else out there had ever done that before. So I agree with her. It does seem once you come to hear it and understand it, like it just makes sense. It's just like an element of the universe, but... I hope that you will take this information that you will dive in and learn more about your tendency and how you can use it because it really is something that once we understand and have integrated into our lives, it just propels us forward to doing more of the things that we want to do even better. And with that, thanks for tuning into the Resolve podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Carly Tisano. I would love to connect with you. Don't forget to rate and review. It really helps other people find the show and subscribe if you haven't already so that you don't miss another great episode next week. For the show notes or additional support in reaching your goals, check out carlytisano.com. Until next time, here's to all that lies ahead.